Don't call it a comeback. I'll have hair for years. Wake up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy. Hey, what up, girl? Grab my glasses. I'm out the door. I'm gonna hit this city. Let's Before go. I leave, brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack. Cause when I leave for the night, I ain't coming back. I'm talking. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios. Back in my day, the NFL wasn't postponing games due to COVID outbreaks. Turf Burger. Back then, the only thing that could stop an NFL game was your wife asking, can we watch something else? This is the Press Box. And you'd roll your eyes and she'd say, you've been watching football for eight hours and you'd hem and you'd haw and she'd say, I'm taking the kids to my mother's and just like that, you'd turn it off. Ed Graney. But it was too late. She was already gone. We're good this time. There was nothing you could do to bring her back. Tyler Bischoff. And at that moment, you knew. You knew more than ever. You were ready for some football. On ESPN Las Vegas. Cardinals versus the Jets. Here we are on a Friday. We're back in business. Ed, Tyler, and Jared. Back from Raiders camp and very high-level reporting. Watches. Oh, uh, my God. Yeah, Incredible. I wanted, yeah, right right now, um, Ruggsy's uh, underhanding the ball back to Carr, and it's 1.1 second because he had to do it. Uh, <laughs> he had to step up smoker. Yeah. Yeah, well, they're not in uh they're not in pads, so I guess this is what we have to report until they get in pads cuz really doing nothing except deciding when to dip their helmets into ice water and how to throw underhand. I guess when they get into pads it's going to be serious. Do you know uh, how badly I want Henry Ruggs to have listened to that part of our show yesterday where you were timing how long it took him to throw the ball back yeah. to Derek Carr, how long he strolled over to the sideline and how many times he dipped his helmet in the ice bath? Just to be like, what in the hell are we letting in to watch practice? <laughs> I felt good. I felt strong with those numbers. Uh, the stopwatch <laughs> worked. The stopwatch on the phone, though, it, it messed me up. Because when you do your stopwatch on the phone, I just realized this for the first time yesterday. You do a normal stopwatch. And then I hit some sort of button. And all of a sudden, I saw a clock. And that completely messed me up. Oh, I'm like, how did that clock get on the phone? Oh, boy. Yeah, it was not good. I kept pushing buttons. I, I'm pretty sure my numbers were close. And the smoker at the end of the day was a faster player than Ruggsy. But uh, we'll see. We'll see when the pads come on. I never got, like like I told you, never ran that I – they didn't run many many go routes. They didn't run many routes where you just time them. So I had to come up with some basic other skills that they had, like <laughs> walking to the huddle and dipping uh, helmets in water to really let you know who's faster. The first bite. Time that well. <laughs> Did the Golden Knights get better by trading Ryan Reeves? Oh, hold on on the traffic. It's not going to be rain that's going to have traffic piling up that day. I think they're better. They are. I, I think they're better. I think they're I think they're deeper. I think I know he was a fan favorite. I get all that. I don't think he was a great hockey player. I think that it's good to move on there, and I think they're deeper. I think their fourth line has – a, you know, more ability now to create something uh, offensively. I don't know. Like, there's still a fourth line. They're still not going to be counted on for a ton of scoring. But I, from from the minute they traded Flurry to all the moves they've made to now moving on from Reeves, I think they're a better team. The Okay, if you believe Kelly McCrimmon when he says the Golden Knights are done they're making done. Yeah. major moves, it, Yeah, what he said. Then this offseason, their goal – was to acquire forward depth. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's what they've done. They've just gone out and gotten a whole bunch of forwards. Like, that was their goal this offseason. So if they are, in fact, done, then they basically said, we've got to have a better player than Ryan Reeves on this team. Yeah. We've got to have a better third line. We've got to have a better fourth line. That's what their goal was. And so getting rid of Ryan Reeves 
makes a ton of sense because now you look at it and and there's what five or six options for the fourth line that you can say are better than Ryan Reeves. I mean, they Matthias Janmark might be playing on the fourth line this year, right? They're going to have guys in the fourth line in camp just trying to make the team. Yeah. I mean, if so, if we they conceivably they could mix up the lines quite a bit, but if right. we just assume they keep the top two lines the same, the Stone line and the Carlson line the same, your third line could be like Dadanov, Waugh, and mm-hmm. Tuck, and your fourth line could be Janmark, Patrick. Nolan, Patrick, and maybe it's Will Carrier, maybe it's Keegan Colasar, maybe it's the Brett Howden guy that they got. Like, there's a bunch of options, and pretty much all of those you would say are better options. Then Ryan Reeves. And so you get to a point where Reeves is making like $1.5 million. It's sort of like, okay, you, you need to move on from him because you are, st- they were st- 1.7. They were still over the cap. So they need to move on from somebody. And yeah, it makes all the sense in the world to move on from Ryan Reeves. And they're probably going to be better because of it. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm with you the whole way. I, I think, uh, you know, and I saw a tweet last night. I can't remember the exact numbers. You might have them where the the point made was this is how, you get a really strong top nine in terms of your top six and your and, and your top uh, defensemen where all your money's there, and then it takes a precipitous drop. But that's how you create a really good top six and, and top two pairs of defensemen. And that's – I mean, if you just look at salaries, that was, that's what they've done. And maybe it just worked out that way. I don't think so. I think they probably have a strategy for things. I just think they're better. And, you know, we're, we're making fun of uh, – coming on about, you know uh, – <laughs> People we know who are not happy today about Reeves leaving, but look, I I'm not going to say that there weren't hockey fans here to begin with. I get that. Don't start tweeting that we're saying that there weren't like passionate hockey fans. But I think what we've seen in the last week is you know this team came here in an unspeakable, horrible time with the shooting, and these fans kind of gravitated towards these guys more so I think than the actual game of hockey. So that's what we're seeing now in terms of there's a lot of like player fans like they've fallen in love with these guys i don't know if they ever fall fell in love with the game like i don't think again nothing personal i don't think this is like a hockey town where like on wednesday night if it's you know the bruins and and against pittsburgh and that's not one of your teams at 4 30 you're turning on the tv to watch i just don't think that exists here it does with some people there's hockey fans here but what we see now in this last week and now we'll see it again with reeves and i've seen all the tweets they're like fans of players. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying that, you know, that's so that's why we're seeing kind of this outburst and anger and bitterness and vitriol because these players are moving on where in a lot of markets, you would say what you said is like, yeah, like that guy, but we're better now. Yeah. <laughs> they, the Golden Knights in a, in a week traded away the two biggest favorites on the team. Yeah, absolutely. Flurry yeah. and Ryan Reeves. Yeah. I mean, they, they traded yeah. away those two guys in the same week. And well, okay. Who's the fan favorite now? Like, which player is going to have the most jerseys? Well, Flurry will probably still have the most Jan jerseys. Mark. But what, what active player next year is going to have the most jerseys? Is it well, Mark Stone? I will say Stone because he's the captain and the best player. And if you're not like a, a rabid fan or you're just coming on and you're starting to light the team, usually you'll go with the best player. Um, most popular with the fans, I think, will be Marcia So. Yeah. That's, yeah. I mean, Stone, like I said, you, if someone hasn't followed them or they're just starting to follow them, like, whose jersey do you want? Well, who's the best player? Like, Stone will, I think, sell the most jerseys. But the fan stuff that we've seen with Flurry and Reeves, I think, now passes to Marsha. So. Yeah, and, it, but, and that's a massive drop. Because, like, oh, if no, you, yeah, it's huge. If drop. you were doing, like, who, okay, who's the favorite player on the team among the fans? Flurry was number one. By far. And there was a massive gap. And Ryan Reeves was probably number yes. two. Yes. And then there was another decently sized gap before you would get to a Jonathan Marshall or a Mark Stone or 
Maybe a William Carlson's in that conversation. If yeah, we, he's... If we were back in year one, Carlson would be in that Yo, conversation. Yeah, sure, because he's scoring so yeah. much, yeah. But, like, yeah, it's they have absolutely traded away fan favorites, and it'll be interesting to see who they gravitate towards next year. I will say this about sports fans. If your team's good, you very quickly move on from the players that were on the team. Like, if this team, and they're going to be good next year, when this team is out to the Pacific Division lead by 10 points by Thanksgiving or whatever it is, like, yeah, people will, you know, miss Flurry. They will have enjoyed Flurry, but it'll very quickly be, okay, Robin Leonard's playing well and whatever. Dadanov has scored 11 goals or something in the first 15 games or whatever stupid stat it is, and they'll quickly, like, fans will move on pretty quickly, even, I think, these this fan base to new players if they're good. If they're bad, you'll be looking back saying, what the hell did we do? It's impossible for them but to be bad. they're not going to be bad. No, they're not going to be great. This is an, a terrific opportunity for Marsha So's agent, whoever it is, and we don't think it's the lunatic, uh, to start, uh, start um, convincing him it's time to make his own beer. Because what, what happens at the seven five brewing? I don't know. Wasn't I mean, that only in Vegas? It was. It was in Vegas. It was in uh, um, the pizza parlor in City National. I know that they they prominently displayed that. Which again, they're one of he's one of their players, or he was. So I got that. But I don't know what happens to seven five brewing. He's not I, selling money in New York, is he? Well, how many are you selling here? Never mind New York. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I told you the uh, sons evaluation. <laughs> I I will say, having lived in New York. You can get all kinds of great beer from all over the world, including direct Irish imports. So, uh, seven five brewing's not going to cut it. I don't think it's really no. going to, yeah. No. I, you're totally right. Look, they're going to be really good. They're going to win the Pacific. I think they're a better team. I certainly think they're a deeper team. Um, and fans will come back. I, I do love that. You know, look, maybe you have the. 0.5% that have been threatening. I'm never coming back. I'm never coming back. When they play the crack on an opening night, that place will be sold out. It'll be going crazy. They'll have a new, you know, the, 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 the night, Mr. Knight's going to do another dance or whatever he does. They'll have a whole new production and it'll be in move forward and it'll go on and they'll beat the crack in four to one. And, you know, here we go. I yeah, mean, and they'll remember Reason Flurry when they roll back in for their, you know, for their video tributes. Yes. Yeah, they'll get their video tributes. <laughs> yeah. Everybody will be sad then. And they'll be, oh, yeah, we're in first place. And, well, if Flurry plays I mean, for a team again, he might not. He won't get a video tribute if he's not playing no. for another team. How many? Uh, well, unless he really wants to mess with the Knights and get season tickets and comes back and, like, yells for the other team every time. <laughs> and, like, the fans like, we knew he we Flower, Flower, we shouldn't have traded you. How many video tributes on that Rangers game? First period, Galant. Second period, Reese. All they need to do is, for, is trade for one more night. And you got three video tributes that night. <laughs> I do love so much that it's the Rangers and Gerard Gallant, who traded for Ryan Reeves. Did Reeves knock Gallant off a of video tribute, or do you do both? You do both, I think. <laughs> yeah, you do both. But, but you, you do Reeves first, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. How the hell did they get a third-round pick for Ryan Reeves? I don't know. Here's, here's what I don't understand about that. Ryan Reeves, like he, he's not a very good hockey player. Like, he's just a, kind of an enforcer. Like, and even that, I don't even know. He's even in 2021, I don't know how yeah. much of an enforcer right. he is. But he's not very, he doesn't actually help you win no. hockey games. So how did they get any draft pick for it? And then on top of that, the Golden Knights are still over the salary cap. Yes. Like, they had zero leverage in terms of, hey, they have to make a move because they're over the salary cap. Have they even, has Patrick even accepted the qualifying? No, they still have to sign Patrick and like uh, grand the, Brett Howden. They got to sign two okay. guys that are restricted free agents. Right. So, like, they, ha- they, they had, like, quote unquote, had to make a trade because they're over the cap. Right. How the hell did they get a third? 
How? Did Gerard Gallant want him that Gerard, badly? Gerard loving him so much. Let's get a third. This guy, we need him on a opening night against Ooh. Tom Wilson. Did Gerard go to the GM and say, hey, give up a first for Ryan Reese? The GM said, hold on. We'll, we'll maybe do a third, but not like, because there's no, a third? For Ryan Reeves? Mark, thank you. That gives us the opportunity to trade the first overall for Cody Eakin. <laughs> Jesus. They got they got a third or a fourth from Buffalo for E. Somehow the Golden Knights traded Marc-Andre Fleury for nothing, and they got a two-thirds for Cody Eakin and Ryan yeah, Reeves. I thought... Uh, the hell they pull that off? I saw that last night all over Twitter, and I... I mean, I think it's two different things. You had to move Flurry's salary, and I think they're probably high fiving in the offices this morning that anything that Reeves got anything. Yes, because I think they'd also say if if the Rangers said, "Well, we'll take him off your hands and just force the issue," you'd still move, right? Him. You'd still move. Him. They, yes. So, so I'm putting. I'm not putting this. I'm not giving the Golden Knights credit on this as much as I'm like, "What the hell were the Rangers right? thinking?" Because <laughs> like, this get, is on the Rangers. Yeah. If the Rangers said, "Ah, eh, we we'll won't just give take you anything," we'll just we'll you're going to move him. Yeah. All right. That's yeah. fine. But they got a third. How? I don't know how they did that. It's like I don't think it was Gallant being nice to George McPhee. <laughs> I don't think that's what happened. I'm going to go out on a limb and say he wasn't like, let's be nice to these guys. All right. Coming up next. Damn it, the Dodgers did it again. And make sure you're listening at 8.15 today. We are going to be giving away tickets to go see Rolling Stones at Allegiant Stadium. We're going to do something really fun. We're going to have multiple callers call in. You guys are, there's going to be a game that's going to be played and you'll have a chance to win. That's coming up at 8.15, so make sure you are listening then for your chance to win Rolling Stones tickets. Is Tyler a know-it-all? Can you prove him wrong? Tweet at Bischoff underscore Tyler and at Ed Graney. Max shakes off a sign, now another. Now he's ready. The wind, the kick, and the 0-2 pitch. Curveball, ring him up, strike three called. Wheeler caught looking. That's strikeout number five for Scherzer. Career strikeout, 2,931. He swings and he puts a charge into it. Right center field. Goodbye. Votto has done it. A new Reds record. Home runs in six consecutive games. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. What in the hell is the Dodgers operating strategy? This offseason, there was a report. Trevor Bowers going to the Mets. 12 hours later, Trevor Bowers signing with the Dodgers. And now, yesterday, there's a report that the Padres are about to acquire Max Scherzer. Three hours later, the Dodgers are finalizing a deal to get Max Scherzer and Trey Turner. They just wait for the biggest name to go somewhere else and then call him and say, hold on, we can do better. Yeah. Stark has jumped the gun on our text there making fun of me. Um, Is this thing... I mean, I know it's been agreed upon. Have you seen that it's even Oh, I have not legit? seen that it's finalized. Or, or I have not finalized? seen that it's done. Just... I assume it's finalized because the Padres went ahead and just took Daniel Hudson, the reliever, from them, so I don't think they're going to come back and now get Scherzer as well. I don't know. They're, I guess they're never out of it. They're willing... Here's the thing. I, the, uh, I got a couple texts last night saying, oh, you gave up too much. You gave up the one and two prospects. I'm like, well, you have to understand, and this is why people hate the Dodgers so much, is that really doesn't matter because they'll just go buy somebody, right? <laughs> I mean, they're not in a position of a low-market team that's like, boy, you can't really give up your one and two prospects because those are supposed to be in the future. Like, I mean, if you're the Dodgers, you just say that's fine because in any given year, we'll just go sign Trevor Bauer. Now, you know, you didn't think he, that would happen, but or you'll just go 
pay Max Scherzer. I mean, so I don't really, as a Dodger fan, like they gave up, they gave up the one to prospect. Like, eh, all right, whatever. Because you just expect if they if they want someone, they'll just pay for them. So they're in a different mode of that area where people last night was like, oh, you overpaid. I'm like, they don't overpay with prospects because they just go buy people in off seasons. Um, I was interested with you, Trey Turner's arbitration eligible. This is going to be interesting because Seager's a, a UFA up for a deal. So I don't, I mean, that's not like I don't want Trey Turner. He's really a player, but it's going to be interesting, like how this shakes out. And Seager's supposedly coming back. I don't know. Again, smallest bone ever broken. Kid's been out nine months. Uh, <laughs> soft. Um, so I don't know what's going to happen when everyone's healthy, but I guess it's a good problem to have. Would well, you, do you believe, yeah. do you believe Scherzer, though? Here's the thing with Scherzer. If Bauer doesn't come back, and I think we're all kind of in the agreement that's not going to happen, don't you just flip the money and try to re-sign him? He's kind of old. 37, yeah. yeah 37, I mean, yeah. He, he I'd, I'd, I'd re-sign Danny Duffy before I yeah. do that. Well, that's the other thing. Danny Duffy's like, okay, but he's still out three weeks, and that might be like near that's, the end of the season. That's actually, I think, the funniest thing. I mean, is it's the, like... The Dodgers acquired Danny Duffy, who's going to miss the next three Yeah, it's weeks. like, I don't get that at, one. At the best. Like, that's like... Yeah, the, That's the when best. he could come yeah. back. Not necessarily when he will be back. Like, which it's is, not a foot which injury. Is a phenomenal. Hey. It's phenomenally funny. The one thing that you'll know, and this is from somebody who half my family are Kansas City Royals fans, he's never going to get in trouble. He's a nice family man. <laughs> okay. That's good. I mean... I'd rather him have a shin injury because that, that that only keeps Bellinger out for six months, so maybe a shin injury. But when he's on the IL with an arm, I think it's his arm. It's like, eh, I don't know about that. Um, he's good when he pitches, like a two five ERA. But I'm not counting on that guy at all, right? I mean, well, like you said, it's minimum three weeks. Like, okay, it's August right now. Yeah, that and his ERA is currently at its career best. Yeah, the last right. year, the last three years, his ERA was four eight eight, four three four, four nine five, and now it's two five one. Like. That's uh, not sustainable. I doubt this guy's a two five one ERA pitcher the rest of the season. Did he if he even comes get back. the arm injury after they check the glove for the first time? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> My arms are. He's been out for a little while. <laughs> My now. Arms that might be the reason why. So, the so Dodgers, what do you think this does now with Scherzer and Turner? I mean, the Dodgers are going to still. I mean, here's the problem for the Dodgers: they still have to catch the Giants. Right. Right. And I don't know if this changes whether or not the Dodgers are actually going to catch the Giants because. If you don't catch the Giants, one game playoff. You're in a one game playoff with the Padres. And yes, it's helpful that you can start Scherzer conceivably in that game and then turn around with Kershaw or Bueller in game right. one if you win of the NLDS. But if you lose that one game, that's like that's what I found to be funny about the trade deadline is almost all the big moves have been going to teams that are staring at a wild card game. Dodgers have made the biggest moves. The Yankees have gone out and gotten two people who they're not even in. The wild card spot right now. No. They've got to catch the A's. Yeah. And even if, if they're not catching both Tampa and Boston, so the Yankees' best case scenario is getting in that one game wild card. And they just went and got Rizzo uh, and Joey Gallo. And Gallo. Like, that's what I found interesting is a lot of the teams that have gone big at the trade deadline so far have been the ones that are going to be in that one game playoff. And you look back and you say, yeah, gave up your first and your second prospect to get a one game playoff loss to the Padres. Like, that'd be brutal yeah. if it happened. But I mean, do you think the Dodgers are going to catch the Giants? They've been in first in the NL West for like three months now. I I want to say yes, but I hate saying yes because it's going to mean the Padres win a lot of games against the Giants because they play each other like 13 times. times. Yeah, they play each other so much down the stretch that I would hate the idea of that, and I can't believe I'm saying that as a Dodger fan, but you know my disdain for the Padres. Uh, <laughs> I, think, I think they catch them. Unless they just totally screw things up. Like, right now, you have three against the Diamondbacks. Like, you have to sweep that. Like, you just can't. If they don't lose the bad teams, and there's a lot of bad teams in the NL, especially in their division, 
Yeah, I think they can catch him. I mean, if you tell me the rest of the way through, you get Scherzer instead of the 750th bullpen game, David Price, where you sit down once in a while, <laughs> uh, then I think they have a chance of catching him, yeah. They still play him six or seven times. They still have, they still have like six or seven games, six or eight games of them, so yeah. I think I mean, they catch him. If the Dodgers catch the Giants or if they win the wild card game, it's great. I mean, the Dodgers are going to have the most talent. I mean, they already probably did, but they're going to have the most talented roster going into the playoffs. But if the Dodgers don't catch the Giants and they're in that one game playoff and they lose to the Padres, it's a disaster. Yeah, it's brutal. It's a disaster because they went all in and gave up really good prospects to lose a one game playoff. I'm still more apt to want the team to go all in. Oh, of course. I That's, just want, yes. them, I want oh, them to go all in. Yes, absolutely. Like, just, every year, just go all yeah, in, try like, to win it. Even if you're like a Yankees fan today. Like yeah. Adam Candy's a Yankees fan. He was mad because he doesn't want them to be buyers because he doesn't think they can make the playoffs. And even if they do, he doesn't think they're doing anything. So why give up prospects for a team that's not going to do anything, right? But even if you're the Yankees or, or a team just on the outside, you want your team to go for it. Like you want your team you to try to win. Like yeah. it was it was funny. The, the Seattle Mariners, they took three or four from the Oakland A's yep. and got within a game of the wild card, beat the Astros on a comeback win on Monday or on Tuesday, and then traded away their best reliever to the Houston Astros. And their bull, or apparent, the reports were that the players were just like, what in the hell? Right. Like, we've been awesome the last week or so. We've put ourselves in a legitimate playoff contention, and they traded away their best reliever. Now, they did go out and get uh, Diego Castilla from the Tampa Bay Rays, so they got another really good reliever in return. So... The Mariners are kind of half going for it, half selling at the same time. But yeah, I mean, even if you're the Mariners, where the Mariners have like a negative 50 run differential, even if the Mariners snuck into the wild card game, nobody thinks the Mariners are doing anything. But as a fan, you still want to be like, ooh, let's go for it. Well, and as a player, oh, absolutely. you're like, well, what are we doing here? Yeah. Like, what's the point? Because the Mariners usually have faded by this time. Yes. Absolutely. If you're a player and it's like, yes, we just put together, yes. they had a four game win streak against the two teams ahead of them in the division. And then traded away their their best reliever who had like a zero point eight ERA, and it's like okay, why the hell did we do that? Right. Oh, because you don't think we can win? Well, we're trying to prove it to you right now. And then they lost the next two games by like twelve runs combined. So listen, I'm not going to say anything until this thing's official. It assumes uh, it, it it appears official because there's no other uh, there's no other no um, other team is swooped team in. that swooped in. Did uh, you see the report from John Heyman that the Angels? The Angels. What? They said there's a there's a surprise team in the. Um, in the Scherzer sweepstakes, and it's the Angels. Unless they, unless they had agreed to that Scherzer would sign an extension, what in the hell would the yeah. Angels be doing? Well, do you think that, oh, man. They're fourth in the AL West. I mean, you think it'll come out that the Dodgers traded for him? He's got an ex- they've already extended him? He's 37. It's possible that happens, but. I mean, what is he looking for? I saw some numbers the other day he was looking for. I'm like, okay, that's just insane. Yeah. There's no way at 37 you should give him that. But he's been good. Yeah. really good. So he, he he probably thinks, hey, I can pitch like this yeah. for three more years or something. And most teams will be like, ah, you're 37. There'll be, numbers come, there'll be numbers coming off the book because I don't think Kershaw's back. Really? No, I think he goes to Texas and oh, just ends it, ends it at home. Yeah, he's my favorite, one of my favorites. Bring him to time. Houston. Coming up next, yeah. Austin Gale joins the show. This number one water park or go online, zeroreslasvegas.com, minimum supply. Clean carpet, zero res it, Call 840-3333. I've improved my entire game right now. I'm excited to show all the all my improvements, deep ball, intermediate, protections, everything. 
I'm just a much better all-around player. What chatter are you talking about? Well, the, a quarterback from it's another team. A lot of chatter team. that goes. Yeah. On, you know. <laughs> well, a quarterback I'm, I'm above from another it all. team. I'm above yeah. it all. I'm above it all. Control what I can. I'm here. You know, that's that's what I'm doing. Go out there and be the quarterback for this team. We are back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. Joining us now from Pro Football Focus is Austin Gale. All right, Austin, did all Aaron Rodgers really want at the end of the day was to be able to say, hey, guys, bring back Randall Cobb? I mean, I think that's part of it. I I think you have to applaud what he did at that press conference to be as candid as he was. And to really, I think not only did Aaron Rodgers need that, not only did the Green Bay Packers fans and teammates need to hear that, but also like the front office needed all the speculation to stop. He told everyone exactly why he was frustrated and followed up with a very candid you know, press conference. And I think all of what he said was super fair. I mean, the only reason the Green Bay Packers have been Super Bowl competitive since Brett Favre left the team is Aaron Rodgers. That's it. Full stop. And to not involve that singular person who takes your Super Bowl favorite odds from 14, or I think what, they're 14 to 1 all the way to like 50 to 1, to not involve him in the personnel decisions, at least in retention. He wasn't even saying, I want this receiver in the draft, or I want this tackle in the draft. He was saying, hey, the players I like that are on the team, let's try and keep those guys. And if we can't, involve me in the conversation before you cut them or let them walk without even letting me know. So let's take, like, you know, the Jake Kumaro one as an example. Like, if Aaron Rodgers had been involved in the conversations, but they still made all the same decisions at the end of the day, do you think it's any different? I mean, I think that's just more disrespectful. But I, I'm not surprised <laughs> that Aaron Rodgers was. You know, he, he said that he didn't even know Jake Kumaro was going to get cut, and he was cut. Like, that, that's part of the conversation I think Aaron Rodgers wants to be a part of, so he can, you know, know what's happening. I think he also wants to know what the succession plan is. He, was obviously, he obviously felt Kumaro was the second-best receiver in camp, was, was not told when he was going to be cut, and was not told what the succession plan was going to be. Like, are we rolling into this year without a replacement for Kumaro? What is our plan to improve this receiving core? He was the second-best guy. Like, I think that's the type of conversation Aaron Rodgers has always wanted, and – Rightfully deserved. I mean, like I said, he's been he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. I think he's going to continue to be one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. He's a top three, top five quarterback in the NFL right now. I just don't understand why the front office was so obtuse and not involving them in the conversations and not at least having him a say in which receivers he worked with and, and which players were on his team. Yeah, and that that was my follow up is, is and want to get your thoughts on what does he deserve? How much really influence does he deserve beyond a conversation of you know this guy needs to be treated well? Bring this guy back. You saw Brady obviously went to Tampa Bay, and you know uh, Arians is not Belichick, so Brady obviously seemed to have more of a say in things, and and it worked out. They won the Super Bowl. So where do you stand on these level of players and how much influence they should really have? I think he needs to be involved in every significant, you know, roster decision, at least in the conversation, not even, not even, you know, being told his opinion is right or wrong, but at least know when those players are getting cut and know what their plans are. Because again, there's not a single person in the Green Bay Packers organization that matters more to their Super Bowl chances than Aaron Rodgers. Full stop. Not Gutekunst. It could not the entire front office combined. Like, why are you not involving him in the conversation? I think you're going to start to see more and more of these contracts or these discussions when you have a quarterback like Rodgers or Brady or Manning or Breeze that are the literal only reason your team is relevant. You're going to have them in the, involved in the conversation. I think where it should be is with retention. I feel that it shouldn't be because you know, Aaron Rodgers is not scouting, you know, tape and trying to figure out which receiver to bring in. Don't worry about that. But in terms of like, hey. How do you feel about the receiving core? Oh, I'm all for it, man. Me, Jake Kumro, Cobb, we're going to get it done. 
and then they cut them both. It's like, oh, wait a second. Now, I like that receiving core. I think you have to lean into that. Is Randall Cobb any good? I still think he's okay. It's, it's an interesting hill for Aaron Rodgers to die on. I think another part of it, too, is that Aaron Rodgers wants to play with people he likes because he spoke a lot to you know, leadership and high character and stuff like that, which I think on the outside looking in, especially coming from PFF, it's hard to really quantify that impact. But, I mean, it's, it's, it's honestly you know, something that probably needs to continue to be considered, you know, leadership and you know, high character and having guys in the locker room that are – you know, leaders like Micah Hyde, like Clay Matthews, Julius Peppers. I mean, these people, Charles Woodson. These people he brought up were all high character leaders, veteran leaders that they failed to replace with younger talent. You know, Marcus Valdez Scanling, Equinemius St. Brown are not it. You know, even Alan Lazard has had his flashes, but still not been the same impact player that some of the other guys he's had. We uh, talked to the Raiders yesterday to Jonathan Abram. He uh, met the media, uh, and we don't need to look very far for the PFF ranking at grade of last year. He was dead last, uh, but. Here he is in the box safety with Gus Bradley now. He seems very, uh, let's say, humble, uh, more so than he's been in the past, maybe because of the year he had last year. Do you see a significant difference given scheme or Gus Bradley, or has John Abram kind of shown who he is? No, I think it's going to be a vastly different Jonathan Abram this year. At least you have to hope. I I do think that when he was coming out of Mississippi State, we felt his best player comparison was Keanu Neal, a guy that – Mike McCarthy called one of the best linebackers in the NFL. Like, that's what kind of Jonathan Abram is. Like, Jonathan Abram is a box player. Whether he's a safety or a linebacker, it's up to you. But he is a box player. Do not lean on Abram to be on the back half and limiting big plays. Have him in the box, playing the run, hard-hitting, that stuff. Where when you're in the box, it's harder to give up monstrous plays because obviously you have people on the back end. But when you're playing deep safety and you miss or you make a mental mistake, mistake you're going to see big plays, as we saw. And I think – Nothing hit Jonathan Abram harder than when John Gruden in that press conference said the safety position is completely unsolved. Mm -hmm. We don't know what's going to happen there. It's like, oh, my gosh, you invested a first-round pick in the kid. It's unsolved. I think he knows, and I'm sure John Gruden has had private conversations with him as well. It's like, hey, buddy, it's time to show up. We need to we need to make a play. This we're doing. You know, we're bringing in Gus Bradley to put you in a position to succeed. Let's see it. And I think that's why a lot, a lot of the humbling has come from. I don't know if you guys have, have done any, like, uh, if you guys have had any stories on this idea, but just – when you have a new defensive coordinator, how stable is a defensive player's like play in his PFF grade when they go through coordinator and scheme changes? Not at all stable, especially the further away you get from the ball. You know, you look at the defensive like defensive line has some stability, but look at Corey Littleton. Corey Littleton went from one of the best coverage players at the position with the Rams to one of the worst. And I think a lot of that was obviously COVID impacted. Like not only did he go to a new team, but he was not even given the opportunity to have a full off season to, you know, download this new playbook from Paul Gunther and these things. It is very difficult the further away you get from the ball to have maintained progress um, when you're asked to do different things. Gus Bradley is going to do a lot of different things, hopefully, than what Paul Gunther did in Las Vegas. So I do think that you're going to see cornerbacks, safeties, linebackers. There's going to be an adjustment. Now, can they mitigate that adjustment with a successful offseason, a successful training camp and preseason? Yes and no. But we're going to have to see how quickly they can you know, get into these new roles with Gus Bradley and how quickly they can be firing on all cylinders. Uh, High-level reporting here. I've been out there the last few weeks, or last few days, <laughs> last few days, and Unique Ngakwe looks quick. Um, I want to ask you, though, because he does, he actually looks very good. They haven't even put pads on. His presence, though, and Clee Farrell talked yesterday, and you know the open question was, you're now second string. He kind of debated that. But how much difference can Ngakwe make across the whole depth of the line? Massively. I, I think John Gruden's right in that Unique Ngakwe brings a presence and, honestly, a juice and explosiveness that the Raiders haven't had 
as a pass rusher since Khalil Mack. And I think Unique Ngakwe is obviously no Khalil Mack. He's been, even dating back to his days at Maryland, one of the, no, not a great run defender. It's never been his game, but he's really good at rushing the passer. He's really good with the cross chop. He, when I talk to pass rushers in the draft, they bring up his name first. When they talk about the cross chop and the outside moves and the get off, he has it. And I think, will he, you know, struggle against the run? Will he be a top 20, top 25 player against the run, according to PFF grade? No, but he's going to do something the Raiders haven't had since. You know, they traded away Khalil Mack and offer a premier pass rushing talent on the edge. Max Crosby obviously playing opposite of him, and they're kicking Cleveland Furl inside. I don't think Furl's necessarily going to be considered second string. I think that he's going to play a lot on the inside. They obviously moved away from Maurice Hurst for a reason. They have to have a succession plan there. I think it's going to be a combination of, obviously, Furl, Crosby, and Unique Ngakwe kind of being this pass rush for the Raiders, and I think will it work out? We'll see. It does. It is unfortunate that a top-five player at edge is now being kicked inside because he's not good enough to win on the edge. That's not great, but got to play the card you Is Ngakwe, I mean, you sound confident at least about the pass rushing side. Is he good enough to basically be like the number one guy and not sort of the number two who, who has a number one who draws more attention? So what's tough is that I do think he has that ability to be a number one, but I, it's tough to be a true number one with the state of the Raiders secondary, the state yeah. of the Raiders linebacking core, and the state of the Raiders rest of the defensive line. Like Max Crosby, as good as he's been, is still not a premier number two. I mean, he's a guy that did not rank very highly in pass rushing grades because he does not win early in the snap. He's a high-effort, high-pursuit player that's also added weight and gotten a lot better against the run, but he's not a premier number two. And Cleveland Furl, you have to hope, has more success with the athleticism he brings to the table going against guards and centers this year when he's kicked on the inside. That's the only way you see this pass rusher really take a step forward. But the secondary has so many question marks, so much youth, an entirely new defense they're going to have to learn. I don't even know who's starting at deep safety. Is it going to be Merrick at a TCU? I think it's going to be a very interesting conversation because as good as Yannick Ngakwe is and say you see steps taken from Burl and obviously Crosby, if this secondary is as bad as it's been, which I don't know, there's a lot of reason for hope there. Maybe Casey Hayward sees some snaps. I don't know. You know, Damon Arnett, like, like Gruden said, athletically, talent-wise, is as good as it gets, but can he commit on the field? Can he stay healthy? I think the secondary could be the Achilles heel of this team as it's been since what? Nami Osmo left? <laughs> it's been a long time. It's been a while. Been a long time. Let's say it is, Mary. Uh, can you go through, like, historically, uh, and maybe in that scheme or not, a kid who comes in at that spot and how well they do? Oh, buddy, this is going to be tough. This is going to be very <laughs> difficult. I mean, single high, single high defenses are hard to play, and it, he has the range to do it. And Gus Bradley obviously has a lot of faith in him for, you know, them t- taking him as high as he did. But, like, being the last line of defense as a rookie is going to be very difficult. And when you are playing so much single high as Gus Bradley does, you're going to need to really show up if you're not, if you're going to limit big plays. So I do think that it's a tall order. You know, PFF was really high on there. We saw him as the best deep safety prospect in this class. But as we saw last year too, like, I mean, it's sometimes very difficult to put high expectations on rookies. I mean, it's very difficult for them to hit the ground running as fast as people want them to. Now, if he can just limit big plays, he doesn't even need to intercept the ball. Limit big plays, that's going to be a massive upgrade for the Raiders that they've had at deep safety in a long time. Well, he is Austin Gale from Pro Football Focus. Austin, as always, we appreciate it. Of course, thank you. Take care. Trayvon Moore. Well, I mean, he's a rookie in that spot. That's going to be tough. I don't know if they're, like, I do think they're better up front, and that's going to help a little, obviously, because the more pressure you get and the more aggressive you are, you you know, opposing quarterbacks and have less time. Essentially, that's how it's supposed to work. I just, there's no way you can say that secondary is going to be exponentially, exponentially better. You can't. I mean, yeah. they better be really good up front to kind of hide what is really still a susceptible back end. Right. Because even if you're really good up front, you're still not going to get to the quarterback all the time. No, no. You're, you're still going to, the offensive yeah, line's still going to win a absolutely. lot. So there's still going to be plenty of plays where the secondary 
has to be competent, has to cover I mean, somebody down the field. How good – and we've seen we've seen what he is, but how strong an argument is it to – and we wrote about this today because Abram's in the situation where now, you know, this is the season after which they decide on a fifth-year option for both him and Farrell. If the, if the narrative is they're putting him into the box safety to – because he's good against Trent, but hide his weaknesses in the past. Like, how good an evaluate? How good a narrative is that for him? I Not mean, at all. I don't know if you pick up a fifth year option if he plays like that. Massive problem for the Raiders is two of their defensive players they took in the first round, Jonathan Abram and Cleveland Furl, have basically had to move to like different right. positions than they wanted them to. Cleveland I mean, Furl's now going to have to go inside instead of being an edge rusher, and Jonathan Abram now has to be a box safety instead of an actual two deep safety. I mean, I think there's a better chance, and this is a ways away, but I think right now today if you're saying, okay, and they might pick him up both, but who do they pick up? I think it's by far Furl. Oh, yeah. because I don't yeah. know if they pick up. If John Abrams has a season like he did last year, yeah. you can't pick up that option. Because Furl's been fine. Right. Furl's a perfectly fine NFL player. The problem is they, they took him in the top five of the right. draft. That's the issue with Cleveland Furl. Abram was not fine. Abram was no. awful last year. And that like, and you're not pick if he's that bad again. You can't pick it up. He might not even be on the team next right. year, let alone pick up the fifth year option. But Cleveland Furl's been. I mean, he's fine. He, I don't know if he gets a second contract from the Raiders, but you certainly pick up the fifth year option because he's a usable NFL player. What we've seen from Abram, he's not even usable. Not now, at this point. Not if he plays like last year. Yeah. How much that changes with a new scheme and him understanding, wow, I sucked last year. I need to be better. And yeah, there's a chance that Jonathan Abram is a usable NFL player. But so far, what we've seen, no chance. I mean, you, that, you don't even want him on the field. I triple checked the numbers yesterday when I looked it up and said they they completed 87% of targets against him. I'm like, that can't be true. I kept refreshing him like, and like squinting my eyes. I'm like, okay, there's got to be like something wrong here. And then I said, no, that's right. <laughs> yes, that is what happens. <laughs> All right, coming up next, show or tell from Ed Graney. I don't know if we're going to have anything better than the numbers he had yesterday. Want to be part of the show? Call the Press Box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678 and leave your opinion. Ed Graney has been a journalist for over 30 years. He's seen a lot of shit and been given a lot of free stuff. Oh, brother. All right, back to show and tell. Whether it was scurvy or a padre eating a Snickers bar. Why don't you bring this potato? You're always trying to give me potatoes. What is it with you? Ed Graney is here to show and tell. Yesterday was great. When you gave us all that the was, numbers. I mean, yeah. Can we just replay that bit? And um, <laughs> we'll just sit here for like the next five minutes and we won't say anything. Uh, so the flurry, it'll be tell today. The flurry, um, you can't imagine. And it's, it's you know, it's good. Look, it's cool. People have passion. I get all that. That's fine. They're fans. I mean, I understand all that. But the flurry backlash of emails and voicemails were such a high level that it became very bizarre. I have one that we can't play because we'd only play two words of a five-minute message because they'd have to bleep out everything else. But essentially, this is the first time I've heard this one. Essentially, the person said, this is my name. This is where I live if you want to talk about it. Now. To you? Yeah. Oh, you should have heard this. I, I'll play it so for wait, you. So they were Are mad. fighting somebody? Were they, were they mad at more at you or more at the organization? No, mad at my column him. saying that oh, okay. they should have moved on from him. And you know what? And, you know, he said he found out on Twitter. I think the agent told him. The organization said we told him all along what was happening. That whole nonsense about 
that at the end of the day, I'm sorry, this will kill people out there. Doesn't matter. They needed to move on from him. Um, but this guy, I'll play it for you during the break. Was you know everything was bleeped out. But I'll, I want to ask you a question, and I guess I'd have to play it for you to 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 give you the answer. When that happens, and the person says the name and where they live, <laughs> Vic Tafer of the Athletic, I played it for him yesterday. He's like, oh, I'd go over there. You, I, he go, would? He, I go, what do you mean? He goes, he goes, nine times out of ten, dudes like that would be shocked you came over and be like, oh, I'm just, you know, I, I was just mad. So that, and then like start like talking about sports and stuff. What would be the percentage of you would go over to this person's house? And, and just know before I play it for you, it was really pointed in what they thought. Zero percent. Zero? Zero percent. I'm with you on zero. Vic Tafer. And, and here's the thing about Vic. I'm thinking, hey, Vic, you're not the one who has to go over there. Like, it's easy for you to say, yeah, go on over. He'll be fine. Don't worry. He'll be fine. (laughs) Like, then, like, you know, you guys are getting the call. He's not at Raiders practice, but he's not coming in. We're trying to save him because he's at the hospital. Um, Yeah, it was – I agree with you, but Vic said – now, I do also agree, though, I don't know if it's nine times out of ten – a lot of Twitter tough guys and a lot of whatever guys, they do back then. If you actually come – even in emails, if I come back, like sometimes an email, they're like, well, I didn't really – because, you know, they don't think you're going to email yes. back, right? They don't think you're going to, like, answer back. And when you do, it's a little like, oh, man, I sounded like a jerk here. I might, like, back off a little. But Vic Tafer was strong in the fact that, oh, no, you got to go over there. I'm like, yeah. what? Okay. I love engaging with people who get mad at things that I tweet or something right. on Twitter. And it, listen, part and of that, you, like our management, right? <laughs> people, people that follow me on Twitter enjoy that I will engage back with them, even when they're mad at me. Like that's part of the reason people follow me on Twitter. And okay, I can I can have more people like me because they know, hey, I'll, they'll respond if I if we if, yell yeah, at each other. Exactly. I'm not showing up to meet that person in real life. <laughs> I don't know who you are. You can't do anything to me with a tweet. Right, like you, you, you can maybe try to hurt my feelings, right? But you can't do anything to me if I show up to wherever you are in but, real life. When you gave me here's an address, come find me. Absolutely not. It appeared, it appeared that most people in the media room agreed with Vic, and I said, you "They guys did." Al- do you guys always want? Do you guys want me to like in in your bodily harm here? It's I like think it, so. Well, but it was almost so. like none of you jamokes yes. are walking over to this dude's house. You should have said, "All right." You guys all come with me. Yeah, and no, yeah. We'll exactly. go. Actually, you guys lead the way yeah. and say Ed's in the car, yeah. and, and you got to get you, to get to him. You got to get through six yeah. of us. It's like, okay, calm down. Least threatening thing ever. A group of sports writers roll yes. up. Yes, <laughs> we roll up. Pops, you go first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pops Ramirez goes in first with the perfect lifestyle things on. So the only thing that could unite media members is getting Ed Graney hurt by a <laughs> angry fan. That would unite them and make them very happy, actually. (laughs)